Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Jason Maletsky. And I'm Melanie Curtis. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. Amen. If you would like to find us on the internet, you probably have already. We are trustthejourney.today. That's our handle on all the networks. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on YouTube. We're on SoundCloud. Uh, basically, anywhere that you can find podcasts. Uh, and where you can also find us is on Patreon. This is where you can help support the show. Uh, the easiest way to find that is go directly to our website, trustthejourney.today, and scroll down to the bottom of the page, and you'll see a big red button that says donate on Patreon. And I would like to send out a huge thanks. We would like to send out a huge thanks to all of our Patreon supporters who are members of the Trust the Journey family. If you choose to donate on Patreon that at any level whatsoever, that will get you a place in the Trust the Journey family where we hold as a family, a safe space for everybody to share into voice, whatever's going on in their lives, to know that there's a place to be supported and lean on. And you can, I mean, people put their funnies in there. People put their pain in there. People put their just, you know, recognition of self and what's going on in the world in there. So it's this really great social media space where we don't have to worry about somebody shooting you down or giving you some nasty comment back. This is a safe space that we hold together. And the Trust the Journey family, there are just so many great people there. So love you all. Thanks for supporting. If you'd like to be a member, donate on Patreon in any amount and help support us. We truly appreciate it. It is what makes this show possible. So we welcome you to come and join the family. Yeah, absolutely. We we celebrate our wins there. All, all the things that Jay said, it's just, it's really awesome. And it's very cool to see it grow and the gratitude is real we also want to thank kim she is our audio engineer she's amazing kimberly joy voice if you are looking for podcast editing or video editing you can reach out to her at kimberlyjoyvoice at gmail.com she's epic and she will be glad to help you out uh, if you want to find Jay and me individually on the old internet, you can do that. Jay is at, at Jason underscore Maledsky on Instagram. And all of my stuff is at MelanieCurtis.com. So yeah, let's dive into today. It's a little bit of a lighter episode today, which is going to be cool, a little fun. We're talking about cars and their impact on our lives and the relationship we have with with vehicles, which sounds kind of weird. But it was this topic today was sort of the impetus was because my car that I've had for 10 years basically had a pretty I mean, I'm in the I'm still in the middle of this scenario. But it if the information I got is correct. It had a pretty catastrophic mechanical failure. So it's essentially mechanically totaled. So it's time for me to get a new car, which I'm actually pretty excited about for a multitude of reasons. But um, that's been an interesting sine wave for me where I buy a car and I keep it for 10 years. <laughs> and then I get another car and I keep it for 10. So we'll see how this next uh, trajectory goes. But uh Jay, say more. What comes to mind when this topic is brought to the table? Well, I'm a car guy. I uh, since I was a boy, I don't know why. It's not one of these things I can explain, but I have an affection like many, 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 many people do for the automobile. Uh, I'm also a huge fan of motorcycles, but specifically cars. And the reason why I thought this is a poignant topic is because they are literally a vehicle, right? Like they take us places. They move us from one place to another. And so there's lots of forms of vehicles in our lives, things that transport us from one place to another, uh, conceptually, um, metaphorically, physically, you know, the vehicle that is the automobile. If we each look at our own lives and we think about there's going to be these, there's going to be lists of 
interactive experiences that we've had with cars in our lives that are going to be positive things where we have great memories where it's like a really huge piece of what's made us who we are and then there's going to be the very neutral humdrum this is just an everyday thing that i use you know without much thought and that's kind of an important thing to pay attention to in itself is the things that we don't pay attention to very often and then as well, I'm sure there are hugely negative experiences that have affected us in very powerful ways when it comes to automobiles, especially there can be a lot of traumas around them, too, where sure. I, I have serious, serious traumas related to some experiences with automobiles. So I thought since you and I were batting the conversation around yesterday and I'm it's honestly one of my forms of therapy like my self-love things that i do is i usually watch like one or two youtube videos a day when i'm kind of unplugging from my responsibility set Mm -hmm. and i want to have just a little minute to like rest um i love watching car shows i they're kind of pointless like they're just this (laughs) thing where I'm just watching. I'm just. I'm learning something. Usually, I'm learning about some design of some vehicle that somebody made and what the differences are. And for some reason, it's interesting to me. Yeah. And I know that that's the case for so many others. Yeah, it's fascinating. It, we are not the same in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the. Uh, I just want to buy a car once, and ten years later, I'll buy another one. <laughs> you know, but. It's a, yeah, for sure. There's a relationship there. I am a 100% a Subaru person, like brand loyalty for sure. My uh, family had Subarus growing up and like, it was just, we just always had Subarus, those different various kinds of Subarus. And my, I remember my stepdad, he would always like talk about how his Subaru could pull out a big truck out of the snow and (laughs) how like the trucks would get stuck and he'd have to help them get out with his little Subaru legacy wagon and stuff like that. And I just, I was, I remember him telling those stories and I remember feeling that sense of pride and like cool factor that dang that's pretty cool that that little station wagon can can pull that big stuck truck out of the ditch and uh ultimately I ended up going on to to buy Subarus myself And uh, yeah, so I have a lot of brand loyalty. I have a lot of comfort. I feel really good owning a Subaru. I feel like I uh, align with their values of of being engaged in life and putting love into the world and being in nature and having adventures and stuff like that, which pretty much is the existence of my vehicle. I love having the hatchback because I can put all my gear in there. I like, can sleep in it if I want to. Like it's, It feels like a very versatile vehicle, the Subaru Outback in particular, which is what I own. So was that your first car? No, no, that's a hilarious story. But it's that's the, the brand loyalty. Uh, I just more was starting with Subaru because it's a significant story as well. But yeah, I can well, tell, tell you my first. Tell me, tell me more. Yeah, I'm oh curious. Oh my God, so check this out. This is hilarious. I mean, when so my parents are divorced and my dad basically bought my gram's old Ford Tempo. She had a Ford Tempo and she like would got her a new Cadillac or something like that. And so bought my Graham's car for me when I was 16, which was like a big thing. It was like all stressful because it was like my dad bought it for me. He shouldn't have bought it for I don't know. It was like this one of those like annoying things that happen with parents who are at odds when parents have divorced. So there was definitely some tension around the gift being given to me at 16, getting a car. So anyway, that's not the hilarious part. The hilarious part is coming. Stay tuned. So I get this car and it's great. It's totally great. It's kind of a little, it's not a total beater, but it's definitely not a great car, kind of a piece of shit, but also totally functioning. Definitely plenty good for a young person. The hilarious part is my brother, (laughs) 
we talked about last episode. This is actually a perfect segue telling more about Matt. <laughs> he, he definitely drove a beater. I don't even know. I think it was like a, I don't even know what it was, but it, he ended up having, it was a brown car and he painted flames on the front like sides and it also had a light blue awesome. yeah had awesome. a had a light blue uh what's it called the the thing that covers the engine the hood <laughs> thank you or the bonnet yeah. if we're in england <laughs> right so he had this brown car with a light blue hood that didn't go with the car and he painted flames on it because it was such a piece of shit and we rode that to it together to school until basically i grew up and was old enough to like get my car myself i remember feeling very cool that i got to drive to school with my brother he was cool i was like kind of not Mm, I was kind of cool, I guess, on my own, but I was definitely cooler by association to him. Anyway, stay with me. Once once I got my car, <laughs> once I got my car, I don't remember when this happened, but it was one time when we were visiting my dad's house. My brother took duct tape and he put in just regular old silver duct tape on the back hood of the like trunk he put mel in just capital letters and duct tape right and i've awesome. been like ha 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 funny we go to take it off it will 100 percent not come off <laughs> uh-huh. because the sticky glue of the duct tape does not come off it would not come off and so i forever from that point on until i like got rid of the car i don't even know when that happened I drove around with Mel with duct tape on the back hood of my car. <laughs> classy. Classic. So it's classy. classy and classic. It is the most hilarious thing now. I remember feeling super pissed, but at the same time being like, oh, well, fuck it. <laughs> what was your first car? Come on. I need I need to know your story, too. Well, so my car history goes a little bit back before my own first car. Um, I think it's important to to recognize my mom was a taxi driver. Oh, okay. My mom was the first woman taxi driver in the city of Toronto. Wow. So a very notable thing when it comes to... Um, you know, f- females stepping forward, women stepping into an area where the taxi driver, the cab driver is somebody who's at risk yeah. to who the passenger is. And this is before there was like a plexiglass shield in the car yeah. kind of thing, right? So um, my mom was a very confident woman and a very confident driver. And she started teaching me to drive at five or six years old. Like, you know, it was constant lessons when in the car about what to be looking for, what to look out for, how to, you know, pay attention to the things, understanding the street signs, understanding the rules of the road. All that was constantly as I was in, you know, this is before we even had car seats. I remember being like in the front seat with like a single lap belt (laughs) in our 1971 Pontiac Laurentian. So this is like- the big tank of a car right. that's got like a 20 foot long car where the hood <laughs> is 10 feet long. There's two giant doors on the sides that I could barely close. Right. Uh, and we actually got in a car wreck and got hit by a drunk driver in that oh, car God. and totaled that car. And so, you know, before I even have my own car, there's like this whole set of memories in relationship to my mom that occur in the car. Yeah. And one of them is, is traumatic because there's a, there was an accident, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it put my mom in the hospital. And so, um, and I had to, you know, I stayed with a neighbor for like a couple weeks while my mom was recovering. Wow. And we, we switched cars that was our second family car. First, we had like a 1970-71 Duster, Dodge Duster, Green Duster. And I have a few vague memories of that car and like camping trips and being with my dad. So there, there's these pieces of history. 
Uh, and then when we when the Laurentian got wrecked, my mom went and got us a 1981 Chevy Chevette. Yeah. It was a total flip from this giant boat of a I, car to a little tiny hatchback. I think that's what cylinder. my brother's car was. A Chevette? I think it was a Chevette. They were terrible. They're oh my terrible. God, they were, they're terrible, right? But we took that car. I remember driving from Canada, from Toronto, down to Florida, where we would do these road trips. And I can remember passing the Appalachian Trail Bridge on the interstate and seeing the sign that says Appalachian Trail at like seven or eight years old or something wow. in that car. And then that literally spurred my interest in what is the Appalachian Trail and then when my eventual walking of it, mm -hmm. you know, so the whole relationship of how these things all tie together, you know, and we would do car games where you're like, you read the license plates of the cars that you see, or and I would do this thing where I try to like list off all the models of every car that I saw on the road. Anyways, that Chevette sucked. The <laughs> thing was terrible. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible car, but um, my first car is it's I had all before when I actually was I was gifted a car by somebody um, and I think I was 15. So I wasn't even old enough to have a license yeah. yet, but I already knew how to drive. I'd already driven for three years. I learned to drive when I was 12. Wow. And the I mean, there's a bit of an ironic story and that is the Canada. It's kind of the. It's one of these like stereotypical stories. I learned to drive in an open roll cage dune buggy <laughs> with skis on the front and huge tires with snow, snow tires with chains yep. on the back in a snowmobile suit with a helmet and gloves <laughs> in the snow two feet deep out in this huge piece of land in the countryside. Like Amazing. it doesn't get any more fun for a 12 year old. Uh, right. Right. That sounds yeah. so fun now. Yes. <laughs> I would do That's, that now for sure. Yeah, I was actually thinking about it the other day when it, we had a big storm. I'm like, I want to go do donuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been too, uh, too uh, aggressive with my driving. It's so funny. I mean, I, you mentioned getting hit by a drunk driver. That's one of the reasons I have such a bond with Subaru is that I, I was hit by a drunk driver. I, don't, I think it was four or five years ago now. Might be five. Anyway, doesn't matter. Not too long ago, but kind of long ago. And that was definitely it. The it feels like the most traumatic experience of my entire life. And that mm -hmm. is me not I'm not trying to over dramatize it or put it on a pedestal. It's been a very significant pain, but I believe and there's lots more I could tell about that story. But in short, what the piece that's connected to the vehicle itself is that I absolutely believe my car was a part of what saved my life. I absolutely, no absolutely no believe it. Yeah. 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 Safety ratings on vehicles are a real deal. And yeah. if you're considering, you know, the different vehicles that you might want to own and why really looking into the safety crash ratings of them and what they rank at is a pretty important thing to consider. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. But so that's that really it, it makes me feel really connected to the brand and makes me feel really warm and happy every time I'm in my car. I mean, there's a, like my car, too, for me, given the nature of my mobile life and my transient digital nomad lifestyle for so long, I had there were many years where my car was my office where I would have mm -hmm. my laptop plugged in. And I still do this from time to time because I can, because it allows me that freedom of mobility in my life, my, my work being mobile. And so I love that freedom. I absolutely love that freedom. And I spent hours upon hours upon hours in my car. And it was a place where I always felt very comfortable, very at ease. I could be alone. It was like a almost like going to my room in a way. That's how comfortable I have felt in my in my car. So you said a word in there that is really like the definition of Americana, America's value, and it's a worldwide thing, especially as a young person, the concept of freedom. 
right? Mm -hmm. And what how the automobile provides us that context, you know, in a certain format. Yes. Yeah. Right. I mean, until we have a mode of transportation that is our own, you know, we're usually limited by foot travel or bicycle while we're a younger person. And then as soon as we get a car, we suddenly have this freedom to travel great distances. Um, I had a great conversation uh, the other day with Julie and she was talking about her first trips about how she, you know, came across this, um, calendar photo or something of a uh, Bryce Canyon and was dreamed of going there one day and then found out that it was only five hours away from where she lived. And as soon as she got her f- driver's license and new car, she was like, poof, that's awesome. You know, going to go and explore and see these things. And I think we can all relate to that mm-hmm. in some way where that freedom of the open road that you know, it there's something about in our nature as humans that says when we let go of our normal surroundings and we go on the, the adventure, mm-hmm. you know, we go on the road trip, we go to some destination, vacation, family, explore, unknown, you know, just wander. All those things are they're really powerful places. I can, you know, for myself, the number of times that I have been at the wheel, just meandering mm-hmm. through this journey of mm-hmm. life, like literally the open road. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. One of my favorite things to do is to open the sunroof, open my windows on like a cool fall day, even a winter day, have the heat on. But like, I love that feeling of being in the forest, driving through roads. I love the notion of also taking routes that you're not used to just for the novelty of that, just for engaging your brain and senses in new ways. I get so much value out of that. Just did that last weekend, Mm -hmm. went for specifically went out of the way to take a route that we knew would be slower, more scenic, beautiful, low, no traffic. You know, it's not about the getting there. It's about the literally about the journey. Right. It's the whole concept of this show is like, let's just embrace the journey, you know? Yeah. Well, and also the the you mentioned the freedom piece, but also I think about it in terms of it being a a tool because I think about it my skydiving career my engagement in the sport of skydiving was able to take off when I moved out of New York City where I couldn't have a car couldn't afford it didn't have freedom of mobility or or because and I didn't have enough income to have that as a young person right out of college working in New York making peanuts until I moved to Los Angeles, where a car is a necessity for life out there, was I able to just use that tool where, okay, yeah, the market closes at one o'clock p.m. Pacific time, and I'm in the car by 1.15 if I can do it, and I beat the traffic, or, oh, I'm in the car by 1.45, fuck, I'm sitting in three and a half hours of traffic, but at least I'm able to get to the drop zone. I can't afford anything. I can't even pay for the bunkhouse. Well, I could sleep in the back of my Subaru, right? And so that really afforded me, and I use that tool of my vehicle to my to the optimum levels to get my skydiving to do as much with skydiving as I possibly could while still working my full time job in the city. The um, it's interesting how you say, you know, okay, New York, right? You don't need a car in New York. It's a detriment to you to have a car in New York City, right? Like you've got public transportation. In my experience, yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, and Toronto is pretty similar to that, right? Like you, depending on where you are in the city, you really don't need it. It, it, it. There's such great public transportation that it's mostly not necessary. Uh, but as soon as you move to places that more have more sprawl or, or rural, then it's an absolute requirement, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to tell a story about, so I've been a van guy most of my life okay my first car was a pickup truck it was an old beater and an old datsun like a 76 datsun that was given <laughs> to me and then my next car 
was a van. I had a, was given a work van to drive as an elevator technician. And, and there was a couple of others in there, but like the, the most one that I used the most was that old uh, Astro van. And that set a tone for me because it had the space in the back to throw in whatever you want. And you could easily put a bed in the back, have a cooler with food, throw in a bunch of gear. It could be bicycles. It could be kayaks. I could put a dirt bike in there. I could do whatever I, you know, put whatever I wanted in there. I could go adventure. And it provided me that freedom. And, you know, my first drop zone experiences were the same thing. I first I drove my motorcycle to the drop zone and then I realized I'm like, oh, no, I need to stay here overnight, you know, <laughs> to be able to do what I want to do. I can't just show up in the mornings. And <laughs> right. so the van became my go to. And every weekend I would dump all the tools into the garage, clear out, you know, I, had, I actually set it up so that it would be easy to clear out all my work stuff and throw in a mattress and a barbecue and a cooler yep. and, and my skydiving gear so that I could spend the weekend at the drop zone and, and you know, f- fulfill that passion mm-hmm. uh, and have the freedom to do so. And I've basically owned vans for most of my life. Uh, I have had a lot of other cars, but they've been so functional for me as far as this nomadic existence of going north and south with the seasons and being able to always have somewhere to stay. I found it like it's so efficient. I don't have to pay for hotel rooms. I don't have to like put up a tent. Yeah. You know, it's just the most convenient thing. I'm like, why doesn't everybody do this? It's just, just <laughs> right. like, yeah, like so, so simple. And even when I first moved from Canada, I moved with a, like a, I think oh, it was an old Plymouth uh, Voyager, a little minivan, a four cylinder minivan. It's like an 85 Burgundy <laughs> Terrible. I think I paid <laughs> fifteen hundred wood, wood paneling. It had the yes, yes, yes. 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 I had two like that actually. <laughs> <laughs> but they've done this thing of like helping, and I mean, especially where I live now, so many people live in their vehicles. Yeah. It's really huge part of the culture where I'm at because people prioritize the value of what they're doing over their living circumstance. They want the freedom to be able to move around conveniently and and have a million dollar view that you can't afford. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So, So these vehicles provide that for us. Yeah. That accessibility. That's an interesting thing. I mean, that sort of connects to the skydiving story as well. Like, okay, I don't, I have a limited number of funds. How can I use this tool to make something else, something that I don't have access to in the theoretically optimal or the not even optimal, but the current system, the current setup of how people access this view, right? You have to have a million dollars in a home, otherwise you don't have this view. Well, not true. Well, actually, that's not true. There's lots we can do to make things work for us, which I think is the the car, the vehicle being a powerful conduit to that type of stuff, having different kinds of access to things. Yeah. And then there's the whole um, economy of scale kind of thing where at a certain point we're like, well, how much can we actually afford to invest when it comes to purchasing a vehicle? Mm -hmm. You know, for most of the vehicles that I used throughout my 20s and 30s were under a few thousand dollars. They're like very well used, lots of miles. You know, the priority was spending money on other things Mm -hmm. not on the car itself and it just needed to meet a minimum requirement and i think that it's that has changed at different times you know when i used my car for work uh i had a work truck at one point in time i had a lot more money into it because i needed dependability reliability comfort yeah you know needed to be something i used all the time and so i was willing to put more money into that value of what I was getting back because it was serving me in a different way. Yeah, for sure. I uh, 
can't have a conversation about cars go by without bringing up my dad and how he used to, I mean, not used to, he still does. He like always has like a million different cars and a million is not accurate. He has like, but he always has a bunch of different cars. And, uh, he used to, back in the day, he would have, he had multiple Corvettes, like old 79 Corvettes, super cool. He had a limo that he would put like Verona skydiving center on the side of it. You know, he bought a hearse to, to also advertise the skydiving center. And as a ha 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 joke, (laughs) like, and the hearse also had flames painted on the front, you know? (laughs) Fuck yes. Oh my God. I love your dad. I know. He's hilarious. I have a childhood picture from like (laughs) under 10 years old when I had like drawn a hearse and I put (laughs) flames on it and a blower on the hood. So it would be like a drag car kind of thing. I was like, I'm all about that. I will call my dad after this call and ask him to send me pictures of the hearse because we definitely have them. But um, that, you know, he did a lot of he was in the parades because he would do like, you know, local politics and stuff like that. He would run for town council and stuff like that. So he was in the parades, but he also was a police officer. So he was involved in the community. So we were in parades with these cars. And then he also just had a bunch of functional cars. My dad lives in upstate New York, where I'm from. And so he has trucks that have plows on the front and they're all different. He has a bunch, three different smart cars because he thinks they're cool. And mind you, my dad is a, is a large person. He's very tall. He's like a big man. So to see him getting in and out of a smart car is pretty freaking ridiculous. But I think the key, the piece of influence of my dad in cars is he never really He always was like, I can afford this. It was a piece of like, I want this, so I'm going to buy it for myself. It was part of his entrepreneurial influence on me and education of me as a young person in his life, where he would talk about his businesses and share how he could pay for it outright in stuff like that. Like, and it's not like he was bragging about it, but it was more going, if you do this, this, and this in business, you can do what you want, AKA for me, buy cars, random cars Uh all the time. (laughs) But it didn't feel like an opulence. It felt like truly like something he enjoyed and liked because it's not like it was exorbitant, but it was more a fun thing for him. Was there ever another period other than when you lived in New York City when you've been without a car? Yeah, after I got struck by the drunk driver. I went eight months without a vehicle because, it the, was the- yeah, it was under investigation. The whole thing, they basically seized my car for 10 months or something like that. And did you not supplement with a rental or lease nope. or something else in the meantime? I opted to go without a car. I lived in New Jersey and I was I just had just moved to New Jersey. I had borrowed a car from my parents for a little bit and then I was moving to New Jersey and it was this sort of new walking lifestyle. And I was so traumatized that I was just like, I can't even think about dealing with this. And yeah, ultimately, obviously, ult- not obviously, but ultimately I got it back. But um. Yeah, yeah. It was an interesting time to be without a car, but I'm no longer worried about it. Like I could absolutely live without a car right now and use rental cars here and there if I needed to. I know some of my friends who live in cities who choose that where they're like, it's not worth having insurance to and pay for parking and stuff like that. I'd rather just get a rental car every now and then if I want to go for a trip or something. Sure. Yeah. So there was a period when I had no car. I mean, I had a lot of motorcycles when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Motorcycle was my preferred mode of transportation. Um, that was my first vehicle that I owned. Wow. This motorcycle. I bought one when I was 12 years old. Oh, my goodness. And I drove it until I was, I drove without a license from 12 to 18. <laughs> oh, and then at 18, I got pulled over. And got a ticket and forced me to go to court. And the judge 
said, come back in six weeks with a license, insurance and registration and we'll let you go. Um, Did you do it? Yeah. Yeah. I went and took a driver training course, which was funny because at the driver training course, I was fully capable. You know, it was like I'd been driving off road and aggressively and like I could do wheelies and, you know, like a very skilled driver, not trained, though. I had a lot to learn. Yeah. But I was very capable for somebody taking a driver training course. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I did go get a license and, and, uh, but the, sorry, what were, what were we on right before that? Uh, my dad and how he was sharing about his cars. I, uh, you asked if I went without a car ever. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So (laughs) I, there was this period through my teens where my default was motorcycles and I would have work vehicles or I would have cars that broke a lot and didn't work all the time. And the only other time that I've been truly without a car in my life was a period where I had been living in an RV and that was the primary mode of transportation. It was like an old 24 foot holiday rambler that I shared with my partner, Bridget at the time. And we were traveling around the country, uh, we had sewing machines, we had uh, video editing equipment, we had rigging equipment. So we were AFF rated, tandem rated, riggers, packers. We could basically show up to any drop zone and fulfill any needs that the drop zone had uh, as far as staffing. And we had rolled into Eloy and set up shop there and made Eloy home. And then when we split and we were no longer partnering, the vehicle was in her name and I couldn't take it and drive it anymore. I couldn't get plates, couldn't get tags, everything. And I was left without a car. And I lived in Eloy, Arizona, which those of you who know have ever been there, it's a pretty isolated place. You're kind of out in the middle of the desert on the end of a dirt road. And not having a car means you're pretty far from a grocery store. You're pretty far from anything like a bicycle ride to the grocery store is going to be pretty limiting. If you got to go to Casa Grande to get anything, it's like a dozen miles away. It's hot. It's you know, it's not a great place to be without a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I actually just embraced it for a while and just said, I'm just going to be here and like be on my feet. Yeah. And, you know, be on the ground and and not you know, have this ease of transportation. And once in a while, I'd have to borrow a car to, you know, make runs to go get some grocery or something else that I needed to do that was in town or I'd jump rides with people who were going, you know, and live that kind of uh, slightly more dependent on others type of existence. Um, And there's this interesting thing that happened. I, that, that motorhome, I tried, got it, I got it fixed. I got it running. I was, you know, going to get it back on the road again because it was a great little uh, ride. And I went to start off a tour around the country. I was, it was kind of right at the beginning when I was like, I'm going for it on the full all in level. Like I'm really committing to just doing this thing called skydiving going to all the boogies, going to all the competitions, going to all the events, like traveling the country on my own dime just to be part of this. And I'm going to make a living along the way. And that RV blew an engine Mm. uh, like 10 miles away from the drop zone. I was just heading out for a full summer tour, had a plan to circle the continent and blew the engine. And I was just crushed. I'm like, gosh, like everything's all this plans all laid out and i'm like okay this engine's blown i know what's wrong with it i i have a history of working on cars and so i knew it had thrown a valve and then now the engine's shot it's going to need a complete rebuild and i don't have time or money for that or the equipment to do so so i limped it back to the drop zone and parked it and i got permission from the drop zone owner to leave it there and said hey can i leave this while i go on this tour and come back in the fall and deal with it. And in the meantime, I'll probably get somebody to work on it. And he said, yes. And then I also said, 
And by the way, I saw that car you have for sale in the parking lot. Can I buy it from you? But I don't have any money right. to pay for it right now. <laughs> right. Can I come back with you in the fall and pay you for the car? And he's like, oh, <laughs> and I'm like, but I need you to leave the plates on it, too. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to thank Kevin. Uh, he would go by his nickname, a freak. And he gave me his Ford Fox body Mustang, two door chocolate brown stick shift, four cylinder tan interior. This is the worst car I've ever had in my whole life. He gave it to me on faith. Yeah. And said, go ahead. Take it on your cross country journey for the next six months. As long as you promise to come back in the fall for the boogie and pack at the boogie and pay me for the car at that time. Yeah. And he totally saved me because that tour made my entire career. That changed what was happening in my life because it meant showing up to these events. It meant going to these competitions. It meant being present at these boogies. It meant getting to know the people in the industry and I was living in a two-door stick shift. <laughs> exactly. You can't even sleep in it. Like you can't. The sleeping in the back was horrible. It had bucket oh, seats. So it hard. Was so bad. I had this little tiny trunk. I couldn't even fit all my gear in it. You know, so it'd be loaded to the gills. And it had somebody else's plates and insurance. It was a yeah. total like liability. And it was one of the best cars I've ever had. Yeah. And the bet like the. I remember getting woken up by a police officer. I was sleeping on the ground next to the car, you know, at some. I was in Iowa. The car had broken down on the side of the road and I was uh, and this cop came over and woke me up and was like, oh, you can't sleep here, son. You got to get moving. And he's like, anyways, you're you're at risk. And I remember I like I had a big knife under my pillow because oh. I'm like, yeah, I am at risk here. Mm. Um, yeah. Wow. But that car, that car took me from so many. It carried me from this like really challenging place to to meet all these people to make these lifelong friendships, it, like there's yeah. so many friendships related to that vehicle taking me on these journeys. And I can make a list of all the people that are in, related to that silly, yeah. that terrible car. It's Best so, car. so fascinating how important a piece it can be in our life experience and our ability to do things and, and connect and have an experience anything it's funny one of the things that i was thinking of as a number of things i'm thinking of it's funny as we start to talk about this there's a slew of things that come up around this seemingly simple prompt and i think this is awesome that's something that we do with the uh the with our whole broken hearts uh workshops that we do we we give people simple prompts to tell stories and to uh end up subsequently drawing those stories as well it can and creating the graphic memoir of their own oh great but those anyway so the simple prompt of cars we have mountains of stories already. You know what I mean? Mountains of insights that we can talk about. Like for me, even now, if I go a place, I almost always want my own rental car because otherwise I feel unfree. Otherwise I feel like, oh, I'm sort of having to be on other people's schedules or what is what will like there there's this question mark of how it might go which is not necessarily a reasonable thought <laughs> sometimes it's totally wonderful to share a vehicle and stuff like that yeah. but it's that it's a little piece of control that helps me feel free inside of these mobile circumstances and these unpredictable scenarios but yeah anyway um I want I don't want to want to say more thing about the prompt thing like we're saying cars, other prompts that you can think of. And this is just from a very broad storytelling, memory inducing, therapeutic sharing type of thing. You can get into a setting like this, into a conversation. You can pick a prompt. You can say soup. You can say cake. You can say trees. You can say the road. You can say cars. You can say people, whatever, any prompt, simple prompt can, will evoke who knows how many stories. And it's so fascinating where they can go. Um, 
and I ha- there's one other thing I have to share it because if my friends listen to this episode and they're like, you didn't talk about this part, I get made fun of so much for driving so slow. <laughs> 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 because I got pulled over one night. I think I've told this story on the podcast. So I'll tell it briefly. One night I was working in college in the restaurant where I was a bus person. I was fucking psyched this night because one somebody was out and I made double the tips because I bust two different areas and I just killed it. It was so awesome. So I was on a high and I roll up to the stop sign in Middlebury and I just like kind of did the roll forward, roll back, go. And I didn't really stop. And the cop pulled me over and I was like, officer, I swear I never do this. Like I wouldn't, I swear if you like, let me, I won't ever, I will stop for the rest of my life. And pretty much I have like, this is like the weird integrity of my word type thing. But there's also the set kind of dark side of being afraid of police, which I know I've shared about before. And, and my commitment to driving slow is both safety in that I know I can respond to a situation that might occur. I'm not afraid behind the wheel, but I feel like that's a part of me keeping myself safe. But it's also like a, a flip in the bird, like fuck the police. They're not going to get me. You know what I mean? Like because I'm going the speed limit. It's like kind of a joke, but it's it's also kind of real as well. Yes, I have the exact opposite yeah, position. I right? know. I know. I, I, I'm a firm believer in the concept that we should have graduated licensing. Yeah. That should be based on two different qualifiers. Mm-hmm. One is our driving ability should be measured and tested, and we should get licenses dependent upon our reaction times, our focus, our skill set, how we actually demonstrate when we're under pressure. Nice. And what automobile or vehicle we are driving and what its capability is. Because I think that the lowering the bar as a standard is a crushing thing to development of a species or society. And I I never respect the speed limit. Sorry. (laughs) I, I think of the speed limit as a guideline for an approximate speed that you need to be going for relative safety mm-hmm. based on a given type of road. Yep. The, whether it's divided, whether it's multi-lane, what kind of surface it is, what are the shapes of the road. And so I consider all those things because I was taught as a boy to be an aggressive defensive driver. Yeah. My mom was a taxi driver. She's like, you avoid, everybody's trying to kill you. Yeah. You watch out for everybody all the time and you make the moves to make sure that nothing happens. And that's how you avoid accidents. Nice. And it involves going faster Mm. sometimes and not necessarily, like, it's not always the safest thing to just go slower. Right. Right. No, totally. I agree with that too, in the sense that, If in certain scenarios, but in general, I'm going to pretty much be in the right lane, chilling, listening to my podcasts and letting people go by me. And I and I get pulled over and a cop gives me a ticket for speeding. And I think of it as a tax that I'm paying for my right to speed, (laughs) which I (laughs) wish I could just pay for that. I would. I, I don't care. I'll pay for it. I want to go faster. I have a car that's capable of it. But that's the thing. Like, if I'm in my my sprinter van, I can't speed. <laughs> that's that's dangerous. <laughs> like, you have to understand that the vehicle has a range with which it can operate in safely. So the speed limit is my limit in that vehicle, or I'm acting dangerously, and. I think that there's something important about, you know, teaching our our youth about, you know, the, there's there's the law that's in place, which is this less like common denominator thing. But then there's like you can develop a skill set which will allow you to go faster than that and still be safe. But your vehicle has to be capable to do that. It has to have brakes, tires, suspension, body, like all the things have to enable that. 
I want to switch topics for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Do it. I'm looking at a photograph. I, I when, when this episode was coming up, I typed in a dozen different searches for all the cars that had influenced my life. And I'm looking at a photo of a 1977 Ford LTD. Nice. Which is a tank of a car. <laughs> it is a two-door that's got like a 10-foot long hood. And it's one of these huge, big land yachts, love, right? Love it. Yes. Yeah. And so in my youth growing up, cars were something that were, that brought me connection to other people. Um, I was very talented with mechanics. I always had a passion for automobiles. So working on cars, fixing cars, building cars was something I started doing from a young age. And this friend of mine, Kevin, had a 77 Ford LTD. And I remember being 15, 16 years old. And he was one of the guys that had a car, you know, I had a motorcycle. And I can remember laying on the hood of this car because you could big enough to lay down on and laying with a sleeping bag on the hood of the car and looking up and watching the northern lights after having driven hours nice. out of the city to just go be in the woods and watch the Northern Lights and, you know, drink underage and, right. and just enjoy being a kid and exploring. Oh. And so that's one of those memories that comes up, you know, where that that car, it empowered us to go, go on canoe trips, put the canoe on the roof go on camping trips, go out and explore, you know, see things and break away. And that car actually got in a wreck going around a, a slippery corner and hit a guardrail and the grill and the fender and the bumper got all mangled. And I took the initiative to help my friend fix his car and like nice. took it all, took all the fender off, took the grill off, took a thing, went to the scrapyard, got all stuff off another car. And much like your story with your brother this was a gold car uh -huh. and we put all baby blue parts on it <laughs> so, so funny it's atrocious it's so bad but so, so funny atrocious. yeah oh my gosh yeah oh it's so fun there's so many little funny stories like and because my dad had so many cars one summer i worked it was woodstock 99 i was a i worked at it in like the one of the tents or something before it imploded and became like this weird like apocalypse yeah <laughs> um but i drove his like super old cadillac it only had an eight track player and it was playing bad bad leroy brown every morning <laughs> you know just like random stuff like that to this the story of the car that i that i'm about to get rid of and get a new car in in replacement of that car and i have been through so much 5 days into owning that i backed I like basically hit the back side fender. I had this really tight parking space, really, really tight parking space in the apartment building that I lived in in, in California. And actually, this is probably my first Subaru. It, I lied. It's not the wrong cars. It's two cars ago. Oh, my God. How old am I? Um, so anyway, I backed that car. I backed the bumper into that side, like one of the sidewalls of my parking space and I just cried I was just like so oh. sad that I hurt my brand new car and it wouldn't buy like it it was it's no big deal it's like a little thing but it was a big deal at the time and it shows how far I've come emotionally like I wouldn't cry at that anymore you know what I mean no chance yeah. I would cry at that but yeah. I was really bummed because it was this massive purchase you know brand new just funny how we feel about that like how long is something brand new gonna last you know so i didn't buy my first brand new car until i was in my 40s i could never justify spending that much money and e even now like buying brand new is a it's a questionable thing because yeah you get a warranty but you you lose money as soon as you drive it off a lot. So yeah. that, to me, that's kind of a, if you're, 
a person who is frugal with spending, then you think about that. You're like, hey, I'll save five grand by picking up a car that's a year old, you know, yeah. 10 grand, whatever. It's a big cut. Uh, but, you know, in my early 40s, back in 2016, I bought my first new car and I had. The reason I bought it was I had had a long term rental when I was on a trip in Europe, in Norway, and I had fallen in love with this rental car because I'd driven tons. I mean, yeah. decades of travel, right? Like decades of traveling the world and getting rental cars everywhere you go. And so I have driven hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of different automobiles. And this car, just I just loved it. I'm like, what man, was it? just, this, it's a Golf, oh, a Volkswagen Golf. Yeah. And the European version was an STI, mm. which I think is equivalent to the GTI in the US. And it's a sporty little four-door hatchback. And it's just the greatest like interact like the driver experience of what it feels like how the seats are the wheel like all the little things were just awesome and i made a decision i'm like you know what i'm gonna buy myself one of these because i really really like it and i'm old enough and i have enough money i can finally afford to get a reasonable car and the beaters that i'd been driving that were 10 years old and had 200,000 miles on them were done <laughs> right you know and i'm like okay i'm gonna go get one and I initially went out and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be calm. I'm going to look at the turbo. I'm going to go to the turbo. I'm going to look at the economy. I'm going to look at the sport, the GTI. And then one of my friends, Amanda, she's like, are, are you going to get the R? Are you going to get the, and I'm like, what's that? And I'm like, oh, so, oh, this is the fancy one, you know? And I went and did some more research and I'm like, oh, this is the nicest one they make. I'm fine. I'm like, you know what? I'm 42, 43 years old. I make a good income. I can buy myself a decent car. It's not yeah. that expensive. Love it. And it was this gift that I given to myself. And every single time I drive it, I love it. And That's awesome. The thing is, like your story you were saying there, I think I had it over about two weeks. And I had driven to the store, parked the car, I come out and there's a big irk down the side from somebody's shopping cart, you know, and you just, you just look over and you just go. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Totally. I'll just go buff it out so you haven't get rid of some of that scratch, but. I think, I think it's interesting. The scope of this conversation in general, uh, overall hit actually in its entirety has focused on our experiences with vehicles literally in this life. And I, the other thing that sort of came up for me and just contemplating this was I'm watching the Gilded Age. I forget what channel it's on or whatever, but it's about early New York City, like really, really early. So it's still horse and buggy time pre pre automobile. And like that always fascinated me about horse and buggy. And so it just is so interesting to me. The transformation that can happen in society Um I recently listened to a Tim Ferriss episode with uh, Morgan Hauschel. I think that's how you say his last name. It's an excellent episode. He's actually a finance writer, but he talks a, a lot about risk and talks a lot about multiple, just lots of different interesting things. One of the things he talked about was how he did a sort of catalog of bullet points almost simple points in history and to see what happened between 1910 and 1950 or 1900 and 1950 and how much transformation happened in humanity over those 50 years. And it's like, if he said, if you look at it, there's so much more that happened between 1910 and 1950, then it, even though it seems like more has happened between 1950 and now because the internet and all that stuff, but, but actionable, innovative, transformative change in humanity, a lot happened then. And that is inclusive of the automobile. Yeah, no doubt. I think we're, we're on a crest of another change there too. It's really obvious that the, I mean, because I, you know, pay attention to this market, there's the, the shift from 
petroleum powered engines to gas and diesel to electric is the scales tipping. And there's this really interesting phenomenon that's occurring is there's a real big pushback. A lot of people are don't like change, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's this thing where I actually I see different segments of car people who some of them are like super stoked on what the electric automobiles offer the new electric trucks that are coming, all these different things. And they're like, wow, they're way better in so many aspects, but they have limitations in others. And there's this emotional kind of ego identity. That's a relationship to our history of who we are and how we think of our own life experience that has a relationship to the the automobile. Yeah. And most of them up until this point have been gas engines or diesel engines. And yep. so we there's this resistance to changing the fuel source and the engine system because we have an emotional connection to the sound that the vehicle makes or even the smell yeah even if it's poison and noxious right there's still this smell trigger which causes all these memories mm-hmm. to relate to all oh, that time with my dad or that time with my friends or or whatever and now we the vehicle makes a different whooshing sound it doesn't start up and blah blah blah, blah, blah whatever yeah and it doesn't have the smells and so It's a different experience. And so there's this emotional resistance to change because of the connection to the journey that the car has taken us on in our own lives. Yeah. Just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. So totally. I think it's so emotional. This is an interesting topic again as a prompt to, and I invite people who are listening. So, like, I would be very interested to hear what comes up for you around this topic, because it seems like it's so funny. We're like, oh, it's kind of a lighter topic. And it is in in some ways, storytelling, this and that. But it's also very deep in some ways as well. You know what I mean? And so it's like. To diminish. I, I don't think it even deserves that because the diminishing of it, like it really is quite a significant thing and a mul- multitude of prompts can be significant in that way. But I invite the, the people who are you guys who are listening to share your thoughts on this. I also invite people to, you know, keep keep your mind open, myself included. You know, I'm I'm open minded about the electric car future. You know what I mean? I like 100%. the idea. I really like the idea of moving away from fossil fuels. Steven Donziger, I'm not sure if I mentioned him on the podcast before, but he is a a person I met through Hatch, the group that I know doing work on the sustainable development goals. He's a an a, a, a environmental attorney, like an activist attorney, and he won a an unprecedented like nine billion dollar judgment against Chevron for its crimes against the indigenous peoples in Ecuador for different spills and this and that. His story is phenomenal. I really think I advise people to go and look at his Instagram. It's at Steven Donziger, I believe is his handle. Um, And check out his story because basically Chevron and the fossil fuel industry is now they had this whole campaign to criminalize his basically legal process to prosecute them. And he has been imprisoned and under house arrest and various versions of imprisonment with an ankle bracelet for like I don't even know how long this is the the crime or quote unquote thing that he was prosecuted for. No one has ever, ever served jail time. And it or or it was like the min, the maximum amount of time served was like 90 days. And he's going on almost a thousand days. And it's like unprecedented. But it's it's an interesting story about the fossil fuel industry trying to desperately contain, like keep its hold on power and, and all of that. So I would invite people to look more closely at that if they're interested. And listen, I'm no expert, so I, I don't know, but I can tell you 
from following Stephen and knowing him a little bit that his story is moving and it's motivating for me in terms of wanting to move away from fossil fuels. This this story goes back 100 years, you know, the the whole reason why hemp was made illegal was because Henry Ford had chosen alcohol as the fuel to power his Model T's. Crazy. And the Rockefeller family was like, uh-uh, we own oil. We, we want to sell gasoline. And so they made hemp illegal because wow. that was the primary source to make alcohol fuels. And that way they could make gasoline, force gasoline as the primary source of fuel Crazy. for the automobile. And so Henry Ford had to switch what he was planning to use because they had a big power game to about who was making money. Crazy. And that kinds of stories like that all over. Yeah. yeah, All through. But so we certainly don't have time to dive into all of that today. But again, everyone listening, let's think about this stuff. You know, I'd love to hear your personal stories and your heartfelt stories, what traumas you're healing. You know what I mean? And and how what you think about the future of this type of influence in our life and this type of tool in our life but and if you're yeah. part of the trust the journey family let's see your cars yeah share, totally. share your favorite story history <laughs> um you know tell us what you where you're at what which ones you've been your favorites or your most least most hated yeah. yeah, and anybody who wants yeah. to join us in there, as Jay said at the beginning, trustthejourney.today is our handle on Instagram. It's our website. Scroll down on the website and click on donate on Patreon. Any amount gets you into the Trust the Journey family. And we, again, welcome you in there anytime. If you want to connect with us, you know where to find us. It's trustthejourney.today. Uh, Instagram direct message Melanie at MelanieCurtis.com Jay at Jason Molinsky uh, Jason underscore Molinsky on Instagram yeah don't please donate on Patreon if you want to support us if you can't afford to donate hit the like button hit subscribe share the episode with somebody that might appreciate it um, all of those things really help us to get more distribution and to stay on top of things and yeah, we're so grateful. Yeah. Leave us a five-star review if you're feeling it. <laughs> yeah. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.